Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Conversations with My Higher Self. Today, I have a very special topic in store for you. It has to do with incarnations, specifically the different kinds, the different types of incarnations you may choose to undergo as a soul, the difference between the different kinds of incarnations, the ins and the outs of each and every kind, as well as the intricacies of like why you may select one as opposed to another. That is the agenda for today, but before we get started, just a couple of housekeeping items. Um, do you find me on social media? I am on Instagram and TikTok at this is Maria Official, Maria with a Y, M-A-R-I-Y-A. I am on YouTube at this is Maria. By the way, there is also a video stream of this podcast on YouTube, as well as we're doing a video stream now on Spotify as well. And if you haven't read my book, uh, my first book is out. It's called 72 Keys to Manifestation or an Ancient Path of a Modern Day Alchemist. It is a magical book. It is a very charged book. It's a book that is channeled from spirit through and through. And it is a book that is going to help you unlock your personal well of abundance. It is a book that is going to take you through 72 days, 72 steps of energy work, essentially, um, that would lead you to a better life, right? So as an outcome, you get, you're going to get abundance, you're going to get wealth, both spiritual as well as material. So don't miss out if you haven't checked out my book yet. On that note, why don't we start diving deep into incarnations? There is not a lot of information available on the face of planet Earth around the different types of incarnations, unfortunately. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you today, so we can start clearing up the behind the scenes of planning, potentially, of these incarnations, because there is a lot that goes on into planning a life uh, when you're a soul. It's a very intricate process. It's a very deliberate process. It is a very intentional process. Okay, so why don't we start with probably some of the easiest distinctions, some of the easiest incarnations to understand. The first ones are the two types of incarnations that almost come as a pair. So there are your run-of-the-mill incarnations and there are your master incarnations. This is something that probably some of you may be familiar with if you study numerology. Or if you have watched my previous episodes about Master Incarnation 11, 22, and 33. So essentially, as far as the mastery level is concerned, you can divide all of incarnations your soul could be undertaking into two parts. The larger part is going to be the kind of like incarnations as usual, life as usual type of incarnations. And then they would be the stepping stones into incarnations that are called Master Incarnations. A master incarnation is something that you undertake after extensive training. The training is going to be dependent upon the overarching theme behind a master incarnation. So every master incarnation, or shall we say every set of mundane or run-of-the-mill incarnations that you undergo, is going to be united by a particular topic. Let me give you an example. For instance, let us say that your soul wants to understand justice or the lack of thereof in a third dimensional world. It may undertake a whole set of incarnations, like a cluster, you can think of them as a cluster, of which the beginning stage of that, a few, um, there would be a few incarnations that are prep, prep type incarnations that are gonna be preparing you for the one master incarnation that you're going to undertake once you feel like you are sufficiently ready to take on that master challenge. Um, so as you're going through your run-of-the-mill incarnations around the topic of justice, you may choose to experience the different facets of justice and injustice. For example, you may experience a life where you commit a crime and then the justice is served or not served. Um, you may experience a life or choose to experience a life where something has been done upon you or to you and then justice is served or not served. Um, you can experience incarnations where something larger than life is happening, uh, like a macro situation that makes you feel injustice deep in your heart. For instance, let's take the topic of race. For you know, a lot of humans on planet Earth that are not born into, let's say, the Caucasian race, it may feel like it may not be just that they don't belong to 
uh, the Caucasian race, right? And so there, you know, so may choose to experience injustice in this particular sense. Not that, by the way, at soul level, any race, like race even matters, right? But of course, on planet Earth, things may be stacked upon differently, right? So perceptions may be very localized to this, to this particular planet. And so as a soul goes through multiple layers, multiple different renditions of injustice, at one point it may choose to embark on a master incarnation, which is like the large test. It's like a big exam of an incarnation where you, all of your accumulated learnings, all of the things that you felt, thought, perceived, experienced in all of these run-of-the-mill incarnations is going to come to a quark crux, is going to come to a crescendo, if you will. And the massive test, the massive exam is going to be undertaken. Let's say in a master incarnation, you choose to be the Supreme Justice or the Justice of the Supreme Court in the United States and render justice on a very macro uh, level. You know, that could be an example of a master incarnation, for instance. A master incarnation is always a more challenging incarnation. This is not something that souls would generally just take on without some serious prep work. And they require a certain level of mastery, hence the name, a master incarnation. Now, clusters really differ in terms of how many prep lives a soul thinks that it needs before it can take a master incarnation. The most common ones for planet Earth are sets of nine prep incarnation incarnations and the tenth one being the master incarnation. You have cycle um, a cycle with 11 prep incarnations with the 12th being the master incarnation. And you have clusters with 23 prep incarnations with the last one, the 24th, being the master incarnation. These tend to be the most common. Now, of course, there is an exception to every rule. What determines whether um, a soul undertakes nine or 11 or 23 incarnations prior to taking on the master incarnation? The answer is it depends. Sometimes you plan very well from the get-go. And then as you go through your run-of-the-mill incarnations, you realize that your original planning was quite precise and you're quite happy with that planning. And so when the time comes for your master incarnation, you feel ready to take it on. And so you do. And then there are other instances where, for instance, let's say you go through, you go through life, you go through experiences, and something is not quite adding up. Let's say that you feel stuck in a particular aspect um, of understanding a concept, right? So you don't feel like you're making quite as much progress as you originally hoped. If that is the case, souls may choose to change the track of the cluster and increase the number of prep incarnations. This happens all the time at soul level. Now, for those of you that, again, study numerology, you would be very familiar with a life path number. So the concept of a life path number is really a dead giveaway to whether you are living a run-of-the-mill incarnation versus a master incarnation. There are nine major life paths for the run-of-the-mill incarnation. So numbers one through nine essentially would be signifiers. Uh, they would denote that you were living a run-of-the-mill incarnation or a prep incarnation for something that's bigger and better in the future. And then if you're a master number, life path number 11, 22, or 33, then you're living a master incarnation. Again, 11, just as a refresher, for those of you that don't know, that don't know is a master intuitive. 22 is a master builder or a master architect also. Uh, and 33 is a master teacher. When I am saying... When I'm talking about master incarnations, we're specifically discussing the types that are currently available for planet Earth. You would notice that the realm of master incarnations on planet Earth is quite, shall we say, limited. This is very much done by design. A third dimensional planet is considered a low dimensional planet. It is considered a fairly, I wouldn't want to say simplistic planet, but it is somewhat black and white in terms of the kinds of experiences you can have here. And so it is considered that the totality of nine run-of-the-mill types of incarnations, as well as three master incarnations, pretty much describe the universe of most experiences um, and drivers you could have in a world like planet Earth. So that is probably the first thing, the first layer, um, the first type of incarnation that uh, we should talk about. Just one more thing about master incarnations. 
Master incarnations require some serious prep work. When you take a master incarnation, it is, like I said, very similar to taking an exam in a particular field of study um, that you chose to study quite in deeply. And there are two possible outcomes for this. One possible outcome is you pass, and another possible outcome is you fail. When you pass, essentially what I mean by that is your intended outcome for the master incarnation is achieved. When you fail, your intended outcome for the master incarnation is not achieved. When your master incarnation's purpose is not achieved, there is a level of dissatisfaction at soul level because a soul has undergone so much prep work and has wasted, quote unquote, so much resource to try to get to the master incarnation that very often if you fail at face value while going through a master incarnation, you choose to undergo it again and again and again. And you will do that as many times as it takes until you get this right. And if you're completely derailed, instead of just overtaking the exam, some souls are going to choose to repeat the same cluster starting from the first life. Now, one thing that is really, really important to say is, the one thing I don't want you to walk away thinking about the run of the mill incarnations is that you go through a sequence. For instance, you start with a life path number one and your next incarnation is going to be a life path two and then three and then four. Actually, it has nothing to do with how your higher self plans this run of the mill incarnations. You would select a particular path, actually. So for some clusters, you know, in some clusters, they may all be the same number preparing you for the master incarnation. They may all be incarnations life path four or all be incarnations life path three, or your higher self may choose to alternate between uh, different numbers. Uh, and in very, very rare occasions, you would undertake the, the lives, the incarnations in the sequence of numbers, but that is more of an exception than the rule. And if you want to dive a little bit deeper into the different types of master incarnations and how they unfold, do refer back to Another podcast that I made about these master incarnations. Okay, moving on from here. Another type of incarnation that I see uh, being quite prevalent on the face of planet Earth today is what is referred to as a sleeper incarnation. A sleeper incarnation is an incarnation where a soul, where a soul almost goes to rest, if that makes sense. Now, there are pockets within reality when you're not in the body that allow you to rest, reset, and rejuvenate after a particularly hard incarnation. But, but there is also an experience while being incarnated that can be described as a sleeper incarnation. In fact, about 20% of all incarnations tend to be sleeper incarnations. Another word to describe them is also filler incarnation. What is a sleeper incarnation or a feeler incarnation? These are the incarnations where when you descend into one of those, you would tend to stay localized to a particular area of the planet. You would not move around too much. You would not travel too much. This is also not the big mover and shaker incarnation. Usually it is kind of like a life that helps fill in the gap and it can be undertaken at any point in time. Let's say you're living a cluster, a cluster of run of the mill incarnation, incarnations that are going to eventually culminate in, in a master incarnation and say that the past couple of incarnations have been really, really challenging and you've developed some trauma and you feel like you really want to be in the body, but you don't want to take on larger than life challenges. Yet, you don't also want to step outside of your current cluster because you uh, put so much work, the blood and sweat and tears to make it happen. Um, that may be a reason that a soul undergoes or undertakes a sleeper incarnation. Sleeper incarnations are usually the types where you go with the flow, where you're floating in a predetermined scenario where you don't really move or shake the boat too much. Sleeper incarnations are also, and people who are undergoing sleeper incarnations may come across to others as unmotivated, maybe a little bit mm, disinterested, disinterested um, maybe a little bit antisocial. They're kind of like, almost like they cannot fully engage with this reality type. And that is because usually a soul is going to take only a small sliver of its resources 
into this incarnation. And the rest of the soul's resource is going to say, stay upstairs in one of the chambers, in one of the healing spaces where that soul can undergo um, the reset and the resetting of, of the energies. And um, so, yeah, um, people who are going through a sleeper incarnation may come across as you know, a little bit aloof and almost they cannot really engage in society in a way that you would expect people to. Um, for, for example, it may be if, I don't know, if everybody is really motivated, for instance, in the United States, it's really normal to have a job and work really hard. And, you know, there's the American dream and trying to get rich. Somebody who's go, going through a sleeper incarnation is going to have a hard time engaging in that, let's call it massive craze this massive overarching idea of like what should drive a person. So sleeper incarnations are kind of your odd ones out. You know, they don't fully, they're not almost like not fully here. But at the same time, at the same time, they're, you know, they can be living perfectly happy lives. It's just those people are not ambitious and it's almost like they want to fly under the radar or stay behind the scenes a little bit. And um, they don't feel an urge to excel at anything. They don't feel an urge to create something unique or else new and different. And those are very often sleeper incarnations, right? And they should be treated as such. These are the incarnations where souls go to rest. And really the premise of that is that if you've undergone an incarnation that is extremely traumatic, say you died in the Second World War or, you know, had some other violent death, it may be really hard for souls to go back into... Uh, to descend back into planet Earth, to go back into incarnating. So very often they would choose something that is completely uneventful and the opposite of, the opposite of traumatic so that they can flip the page on the old trauma, create some distance between that trauma and their future experiences so that they don't have to live into the same trauma and so that they could optimize their mental and emotional state as well as the energy state while they are going through an incarnation. So sleeper incarnations are pretty fascinating. And they could be standalone, or there could be a number of sleeper incarnations that follow one another until enough buffer is created between a traumatic experience and the the next, I guess, traumatic experience, right? Because really, in, in, the, in lives with a lot of happening, you are going to have a lot of trauma. This is actually normal. Trauma is one thing that is really correlated to soul growth and soul evolution like nothing else. And so really, a sleeper incarnation is going to be that buffer in between that makes trauma and traumatic lives a lot more palatable. And it also gives that respite that souls really need, that in-between space, the blank space, if you will, so that these experiences become a lot easier to handle. So these are sleeper incarnations. You may also have what I like to refer to as sister incarnations. What are sister incarnations? And this is kind of fascinating. So very often when a higher self plans an incarnation, it would plan a set of experiences very often early in the childhood that are that could be thought of as somewhat traumatic or formative experiences. It could be anything. It could be one of your parents leaving you or dying early. It could be a situation of abuse, it could be bullying, it could be, I don't know, losing a friend really early in life. You know, there are many different facets of trauma. And um, very often, if a soul, a higher self is ambitious, it may select a whole slew, like a whole string of events that are, shall we say, suboptimal. Now, all of these things are usually meant to be like a treadmill almost, preparing you for what you're meant to become in this incarnation. However, what is possible is this. Sometimes a higher self gets overly ambitious. And when that happens, the trauma at the onset of the life may be too much. And that trauma can derail a perfectly good person from what they came here to do, from their purpose, from their mission, all the good stuff. And so when higher self looks at the results of those lives, it looks at all the formative experiences and it may choose to remove a particular formative experience, a particular trauma in the childhood in order to lighten up the load, if that makes sense. 
And those incarnations are going to be called sister incarnations. Let me just uh, find maybe another quick way of, uh, of describing it or explaining it. Let's say that you were supposed to go through five traumatic experiences in a life and you descend into a life, the five traumatic experiences happen and the fifth traumatic experience really takes you over the edge and messes you up in ways that maybe your higher self did not expect. Then as a soul, you go back and your higher self does a replanning session. It does a session that enables it to do better next time or enables its avatar to do better next time once it um, descends into an incarnation. And so your higher self may choose to remove traumatic experience number five in the sequence of five so that your load becomes lighter and so it is easier for you to stay in track and stay on the path. Everything else inside of the incarnation is going to stay the same. So it's literally like one scene removed or cut from a movie. But the movie is going to have a very different trajectory and a very different outcome. And that is the beauty of sister incarnations. Now, this may feel like a groundhog day a little bit. Also, for some souls experiencing deja vu, it's actually a sister incarnation. You've literally lived this before. You're not making it up. It feels familiar because you've lived it before. Now, is this the only reason why deja vu exists? Absolutely not. Deja vu is one of the more complex phenomenon. It is also the byproduct of living in the matrix, right? A mathematical system. So this is not the only, sister incarnations are not the only reason why you would experience deja vu. Next one. This is what I would call a loop incarnation or a concentric circle type of incarnation. And it is usually when you need a stepping stone into a particular frequency or particular emotion, but you don't necessarily want to feel the large degree of it right away. For example, let's say you want to study grief at soul level and you want to understand the different facets of grief. Very often, you would start in the very inner concentric circle, in the, in the very first loop of an incarnation. That gives you like a little micro situation to cause you grief. I don't know, maybe a hamster died when you were four years old, and that caused grief in you. And so you go through that incarnation, and your soul gets an experience under its belt, an experience of feeling the loss or going through grief. Next time, you're going to have an, um, the next concentric circle on that path within that cluster of incarnation, incarnations. And that next circle may amp up the volume of what you're going through and the amount of grief that is going to come through the pike for you. For instance, this time it's not a hamster. This time it's your favorite dog that dies, for instance. And, you know, the amount of grief that you experience arguably is larger, bigger. Then, so you go and go through this experience and, you know, then you have this experience under your belt. And so over time, you can take progressively larger and larger challenges under the same guise or on the same frequency. Enough so that the outermost layer of this particular path of incarnations could be something that is, you know, excruciatingly painful. Let's say, I don't know, half of humanity dying in a nuclear war type of grief, including your entire family. I mean, I know this is like a morbid example, but really we went from a hamster to a dog to half of humanity in the entire family, right? Now, trust me, it gets easier. Like, and there is a method to this madness because... If you started off with this outer concentric circle right from the get-go, especially if you're a soul that is very used um, to incarnating in higher dimensional worlds where grief is really not a thing, then the experience that your soul would undergo if you were to just like amp up the volume on grief to, you know, a hundredth percentile, that trauma would be so profound that it would be very hard for you to integrate that experience. In fact, it will create such a split within your soul that it would be hard to bridge that gap and bring yourself back into oneness. Like you would need massive amounts of shadow work, right? Which doesn't serve any, anyone. But 
if you start going through these concentric circles or loops where, you know, with every new loop or with every new spiral that you go um, and uh, you experience, the intensity of an emotion is amped up, then you may be able to handle the massive amounts of grief in this particular case a lot better than you would be without any prep work. Now, none of this is considered a master incarnation per se, because it's just about feeling and experiencing a particular emotion. It's not that you're trying to create something with, you know, something that's bigger than yourself, uh, which is really reserved for the master incarnations. So these are loop incarnations. I find them to be fairly frequent um, as far as third dimensional worlds are concerned. I find them to be fairly frequent, especially with star seeds as they're trying to adjust to lower frequencies. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, taking a droplet of something of medicine and putting that in perfectly clear water. Like if you put one drop, you can barely taste, uh, you know, the, 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 the bitterness of medicine. But if you dump the whole bottle of medicine inside of a glass of water, you could really tell. And very often with star seeds or just higher dimensional beings, they know that they can only handle so much. And again, it is like a treadmill. Incarnating is like a treadmill. And very often, I guess the, the larger point that I'm trying to make here is incarnations very often come in clusters. Hardly ever is it just a standalone, not attached to anything, not connected anywhere type of incarnation that is just like one and done. That hardly ever happens. Not only are your incarnations connected between one another and one almost like floating into the next and into the next, almost like a river, and they're all interconnected, getting you to bigger and better things, helping you evolve at soul level, but also your incarnations are very often intertwined with the incarnations of others, right? And very often you may find fairly intricate designs of how your incarnations are intertwined with those of your soul family, your you know, friends, as well as the souls that are in, in your immediate vicinity as you go upstairs and, and how they live and coexist together. So very often, um, for instance, loop incarnations or concentric circle incarnations could be taken upon by soul families. Because very often within a soul family, if a particular emotion is out of your reach, very often is it is also out of reach for your immediate for your immediate family, right? So if you're studying grief, chances are that other souls in your family are also studying grief, and so you would take on almost like a pair incarnation. Uh, where your experience is going to be mimicked by an experience of another member of your soul family. And then when you go upstairs, you could compare and contrast and share the learnings. And that actually really helps with integration quite a lot. Another type of incarnation that I think is worth mentioning is the so-called mirror incarnation. A mirror incarnation is familiar to you if you have internalized the concept of karma very well, but it is a very intentional way to plan your reality. Very often mirror incarnations are incarnations that allow you to feel into the entirety of the happening. And what I mean by that is this. So say you choose to come as a serial killer in one life and you have like a number of victims. A mirror incarnation next time would be coming as the victim of a serial killer. Or let's say doctor-patient, let's say psychiatrist and somebody who is a patient of a psychiatric hospital. That could be like a dichotomy that you choose to explore. And so one life, you would be the doctor and in the mirror incarnation, you would be the patient. Now, you would tend to, going into this whole mirror-like cluster. You already from the get-go know that you choose to experience both. And by the way, according to the lessons of karma, because um, the mirror incarnations are always joined at the hip. So whatever 
happens in the first mirror incarnation is going to be mimicked in the second mirror incarnation according to the laws of karma. So if you are, let's say, a good doctor, a compassionate doctor, a really great listener, if your heart is in the right place as far as helping your patients, then when you flipped to the patient next time, you're going to attract the doctor that is going to be the exact, the exact same way that you were when you were playing the doctor role. And the, but the opposite is also true, right? If you have been a selfish doctor that has, let's say, that cared more about profits and, and dollars and, and money instead of helping another, then that is the same doctor that you would attract when a patient, when you are a patient in the next incarnation. And the beauty of this is that it takes this concept of you reap what you sow to a whole new dimension, or like you attract what you emanate, takes it to a whole new dimension. And mirror incarnations are some of the most beloved incarnations for souls to undergo. And they're considered to be really, really fun. And um, it's, it's almost like a, a full full immersion type of incarnation. And, and, and souls tend to get really, really excited about feeling into and sensing um, of both sides of the story, um, bo both sides of the, of the coin. Um, I will tell you that a more complex version of the mirror incarnation is a cluster of mirrors. A cluster of mirrors is something um, likened to a storyline. Uh, you can pick your favorite book or your favorite movie. Like maybe let's take Star Wars. If you take Star Wars, I know there are a lot of Star Wars fans out there, um, especially the ones that are into spirituality. But let's say that if you're going uh, through a cluster of mirrored incarnations, you would choose to be every major character in Star Wars in a series of lives. So you would choose to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, you would choose to be Darth Vader, you would choose to be Yoda, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. You would choose to be Luke and then Leia. And essentially you would put on the different hats and go back to the same world, if that makes sense, right? So imagine that the world of Star Wars exists and you just are, as a, as a soul, you're putting on the different hats, right? Now it is the same exact story. And yes, there are there is some semblance of free will, um, for you, regardless of what character you chose to play, regardless of the hand that you has been you have been dealt, but still, it is a beautiful training ground to be able to play within, let's say, the universe of Star Wars on both ends, on both sides, and that could be an extremely profound experience that helps the souls evolve like nobody's business. Because you experience the full extent of karma, the full um, understanding of how illusory, how, how much of an illusion the, the both sides of darkness and light are, and the deeper lessons that are held within that, right? So that is yet another version of, of mirror incarnations. Another type of incarnation is um, what I would refer to as a redemption incarnation. Now, this particular title, let's call it arbitrary, but this is fairly self-explanatory. A redemption incarnation is something that is usually taken upon sporadically. It is not usually pre-planned. This is a spur-of-the-moment decision. And this usually happens when something goes not according to your original plan or the plan of the higher self. You go into an incarnation and you commit something that... At soul level, you perceive to be horrendous. <laughs> like you, you, you commit an act that you feel like you you want to redeem yourself from. Whatever that act is, I don't know. Say you were a president of a nation with nuclear weapons. You press the button and you you destroyed the entire planet. Let's say that that's what happened. I don't know. Just taking a hypothetical, not so hypothetical scenario over here, and. Let's say that you, you know, disincarnate, right? You go um, back to the drawing board, you go back to your higher self, your higher self and you look at this incarnation and you're like, wow, holy cow, this was an interesting experience, but it feels like I want to balance out the scales. And so redemption incarnations are those where you're trying to balance off the scales. 
And so very often you would take upon a mission that can last for dozens of incarnations. And at the end of the redemption incarnation cycle, there is like a North Star that you agree upon with your higher self. Maybe the North Star is instead of killing the entire world, you choose to be the savior of the entire world. Like, I don't know, a Messiah or something, or like a new generation God or something, or just a great master healer or a great master teacher of sorts um, on planetary level, right? And you would say, okay, in order for me to redeem myself from being this mass murderer, I want to be the master teacher, for instance. And I know that it may take me 33 lives. I'm just taking an arbitrary number. And then you draw, draw up the 33 lives of prep work that are going to prepare you for that North Star. And this redemption type of um, incarnation cluster is kind of like a master incarnation on steroids. Those are not very often undertaken because your higher self is really, really good at planning. And there are not too many things and not too many activities or actions that you can undertake in a third dimensional world like this one in order to throw your higher self off. Your higher self is pretty chill. It's been there, done that. You know, you're probably not its only stream of awareness. You're not its only stream of consciousness. A lot is going on from the perspective of your higher self. And so there, it takes a lot actually to throw it off its access. But it does happen. And those redemption incarnation type situations also happen. Now, when you are taking on the redemption incarnation, usually the intent is to zero out 100% of the karma and karmic knots created in the incarnation that spurred the redemption incarnations in the first place, which could be a significant amount of karma depending on what actually happened. And so as you're planning this redemption cycle, you would plan accordingly, but in, in the span of these incarnations, you're going to have to plan for 100% of your karma to be unwound or untied, which is a lot. So you're signing up for many lives of density in terms of the happening and how many things are happening to you and for you and around you. Usually karma takes many, many, many incarnations to unwind. Some even simpler karmic knots may take multiple incarnations to unwind. And usually you don't, don't take on all that much karma unless you are in the master incarnation. A master incarnation is another example where you may choose to take on massive amounts of karma. Why? Because the master incarnation is the finishing, the finishing touch. It is kind of like the great unwinding, if you will, of all the karma. So essentially the idea for a master incarnation is that you would take all of the untied ends, all the loose ends, and, um, all the toxic patterns, and just by living the master incarnation in the way that you intended to live the master incarnation, all of these toxic patterns are going to be smoothed out and evened out, right? So that, that is the master incarnation. Those are also charged incarnations because you take you tend to take on a lot of karma during your master incarnations, but it you know, has nothing on what you would do during your redemption incarnations. Again, because there's a lot more karma to work through, and so it just tends to be a lot more intense. Again, as a contrast, like a sleeper incarnation, you're not working in any of your karma. You're like, you're going to come and go with exactly the same amount of karma very often during a sleeper incarnation, unless there's a little bit more that you create. That's also a possibility, but you're not really working hard on untying the old knots. And if you do do that. It is almost like accidental. You got accidentally lucky or something during your sleeper incarnation. So that is the redemption incarnation. There is another incarnation that's probably worth mentioning. And that is what I would refer to as the, um, the ascension type incarnation. So ascension is a process that you undergo at soul level. And it is a gradual movement from, it's, it's a gradual movement in the hierarchy of light. Essentially, this whole movement up, up and down the hierarchy is dependent upon how much light your light bodies are able to absorb and emanate. So you have capacity at soul level for how much light you are able to hold within your light bodies. And so suction is a gradual process of being able to absorb more and more light. Now, this process happens naturally. 
it is a very gradual process. It's a very step-by-step process. Usually you do not see large jumps. It's essentially, if you imagine Ascension as like a stepping ladder, um, you would go step by step by step, not really bypassing 10 steps. You're not jumping 10 steps at a time. Now, when you are when at soul level, you want to accelerate ascension. When you want to put yourself through the pressure cooker of jumping through 10 steps at a time, it is entirely possible. But then you're going to have to challenge yourself. And that is where you would usually get extremely challenging incarnations where you're pushing every single button that you have and you're pushing yourself to the limit. And um, this is also where you expect yourself to excel at something that is going to enable that light to come through into your body. For example, you may come into a masculine intellectual-based world and choose to help anchor hard energies in that world. Now, of course, by descending into the collective soup of masculinity, your own femininity and your own heart connection may be harder to come by, especially if we think through the continuity of lineages and ancestral patterns on planets like planet Earth, for instance, which is a masculine-based world, at least right now. So essentially, you already are walking into a soup and your hand that you're dealt is stacked a certain way. Right? So it is extremely hard for you to resist the predominant patterns of the planet, and it requires a lot more momentum. But a challenge like this could really help you ascend at soul level, and if completed successfully, it may enable you to move um, up very, very quickly. I will tell you, though, that very often souls are extremely audacious when they're going for Ascension-type incarnations, and they usually set fairly unrealistic goals for themselves. So this is a little bit more like an opportunistic thing, right? So you don't really count on passing the test if, if, you're give, if you gave yourself an Ascension-type or Challenger-type incarnation. So very often they will be undertaken once, twice, or a maximum of three times, and then if you fail, then you usually don't tend to repeat them. So it's kind of like dead in the water. And then you move on and you come up with something um, a little bit different. Um, so, so, that, uh, so as you know, to be able to pass the test. The last thing that I wanted to tell you before we dive into the Q&A is this. There is another type of incarnation that is possible, and that is a layered incarnation. So that is when more than one thing is happening at the very same time. Let's say you're going um, through a master incarnation um, that also happens to be a redemption incarnation. That is entirely possible, right? So sometimes things get stacked one on top of the other. That is entirely possible. It is up uh, for, you know, it's up to your higher self to plan an incarnation, uh, um, you know, to be layered or not. Obviously, layered incarnation have a lot more density to them, and they're more challenging. Now, more challenging incarnations are a lot harder to deal with, live through, as well as successfully complete, right? So not something that I, I, I recommend at soul level, but you do see layered incarnations time and time again. Layered incarnations are the ones where you are trying to accomplish more than one thing at a time. It's like more than one good thing at a time. So they tend to be, again, extremely eventful, right? So layered incarnations, you would usually feel like there's always something happening. There's always something else new and different. It's like everybody else around you is like living their normal lives. In your world, something's always happening. Something is always, I don't know, writing itself. Something is wrong. You know, lost some, won another thing. It's, it's like this mayhem. That could be a signifier that could be a dead giveaway for a layered incarnation. Okay, I know this was a lot. I know that we went through like a ton of different options and a ton of different things. I just wanted to get uh, a couple of questions, a few questions from the collective uh, consciousness of this group to see if I can help clear anything up about the different, the various incarnations that um, you may undertake and anything else I can shed some light um, upon. I am ready to receive the question. The question is, how do you know what incarnation you are going through? 
and um, how can you diagnose yourself? So thank you for that question. So first things first, you can definitely use numerology. Um, you can first try to understand your life path number. Um, life path number is when you're adding up your date of birth uh, into a single digit, um, then you're adding up your month of birth and then your year of birth into a single digit, and then you're summing them up and the sum of all of these numbers is, is essentially bring it into a singular number. That would be your life path number. Now, 11, 22, and 33 are special numbers, right? Obviously, 1 plus 1 equals 2. So 11 is actually, it could be dissected and summed up to a 2, but it usually stands on its own. So the master incarnations usually don't get um, added up together um, to form a single digit. So that is your first giveaway, right? So use numerology, you like use the, the math essentially to, to help guide you. Now, just because you're getting a run-of-the-mill number for your life path, one through nine, doesn't mean that it is a run-of-the-mill incarnation because it could also have another purpose behind it. It could be a mirror incarnation, for instance. It could be a redemption incarnation. It could be a concentric circle loop type of incarnation, right? So the the... The, the world's your oyster. I would say probably the easiest way to know for sure what you're going through is using a pendulum, right? So just take out a piece of paper and write down all of the names of the different incarnation kinds that I just described. And you can write them like in a little circle, almost like the sun, like there's the middle point of the sun. And then each of these incarnations are kind of emanating from that sun. Um, as the rays. And then essentially you would just use your pendulum. You would ask a very clear and specific question of like, what incarnation am I going through at this moment in time? And your pendulum is going to show you and it's going to point to the incarnation that you're going through. Another thing is you are all incredibly intuitive beings. So if, as I have been talking, some of you have been resonating with the things that I've been saying, my descriptions of the different incarnations, chances are you have been resonating more with the type of incarnation that you're going through at this moment in time. So pay attention to the subtle feelings and the subtle sensations in your body as well as your mind as you're consuming content. Because as you're becoming more in tune, in tune more intuitive, your body is going to start providing a feedback loop. So that is another way that you can tell. And then, of course, obviously, if you're communicating with your guides, they can help guide you into what kind of incarnation you're going through. But thank you for the question. Um, this is really good. I am ready to receive the next question. The question is, as a lower self, do you get to impact what incarnation you're living and also, does the higher self ever take feedback on what uh, it should do next? The answer is it depends. Usually once you have descended into an incarnation, at least this particular incarnation, the choice has already been made, right? And your higher self has already planned ac accordingly. As a lower self, do you ever get a say? Sometimes. It really depends on your higher self. So some, some higher selves are my way or the highway, and some higher selves are a lot more receptive, and they really like listening to the aspects of themselves and, and get guidance from them. So it really depends on your particular higher self. Very often, though, although your higher self may not take your opinion at face value, it would watch you go through lives, it will watch you go through incarnations and make, you know, make certain um, assessments accordingly, right? So rest assured that your experiences that you're having as you are incarnating are 100% impacting the future selections that your higher self is going to make. For instance, if you are really, really struggling with a particular aspect, let's say you are going through a cluster of redemption incarnations and you have been stuck in a particular place for 30 lives, your higher self may factor that in and even cancel the cluster altogether, right? So this is a very dynamic process and things change all the time. It is meant to be dynamic. In fact, um, you know, from the perspective of the higher self, Changing things up mid-sentence is not an error. It is a, it, it's a great, it's a positive outcome. That means a learning has taken place 
And a learning is always factored into future possibilities and potentialities, right? So courses uh, shift all the time. Journeys change all the time. Pathways change all the time. That is a really, really, really good thing. You want it to happen. The next question is, how does the concept of the multiverse fit with the concept of sister incarnations? Specifically, you have mentioned in past episodes that when a person makes a choice, both of these versions, both potentialities, exist in the timelines, on the different strings, on the different lifelines. Meaning, if you were selecting black versus white, both potentialities exist as options, right? And your soul is essentially living both. If your soul is living both, the question is, why do you need sister incarnations? Because you know, wouldn't you already have a life where that particular trauma didn't happen? Why do you need the replanning stage? This is actually a really great and a very in-depth question. I'm so grateful that you guys asked it. Here is the answer. Sister incarnations, remember, these are the ones where you are essentially taken away a particular aspect, like a traumatic, often a very traumatic aspect or some other event that has been written into the fabric of that life. And by you as a higher self, removing that event from the fabric of that life, the course of the life changes. When we are talking about the multiverse, what is usually the case is that the multiverse exists at the, at the juncture where free will runs supreme. So in, in the movie of your life, you're gonna have multiple junctures. Some junctures are predetermined. It is almost like the storyline of a book or the lay of the land if we're talking about a geography. Like if you're talking about a particular geographic location, you kind of already know that, okay, here there, there is like a forest over here on the left and on the right over here we have like a little lake. And then, you know, towards the center, we have the mountain. So you know the lay of the land. The same thing with storylines, right? Storylines of the, well, let's say like great books, they will always have milestones that the happening is built around. And then you have other junctures in virtual reality worlds, such as this one, where you get to make a choice, left or right, up or down, black or white, marry, stay married or get divorced, you know, et cetera, et cetera, like, go to study as a doctor or as a lawyer, or maybe move to LA, become an actor. You know, there are certain choices that are pre-written into the fabric of your life. And then there is, and, and then there are other junctures where the happening is already predetermined. And so your life is essentially both of these things and a sequence of these various junctures. So sister lives, when you're removing happening, Essentially, at soul level, you're removing a juncture that is predetermined. And the multiverse is more around the concept of choice, where certain, uh, where certain things are still avoidable, so to say. We usually, I don't know, very often, um, especially these days, souls come with a lot of childhood abuse. Like when you when you get to be abused as a kid in the current uh, in the current times and um, in the future. So like the, there is this um, range of thirty years that started about five years ago, and like so twenty five years into the future still, that a lot of souls are going to come with a lot of abuse in childhood, and I mean early childhood, like seven years and younger. So like a whole slew of souls that are coming like that, that are going to enable them to be incredibly empathetic, actually. So that's the good news. Uh, but at soul level, or, or shall we say as a kid, you don't really select the trauma of being abused. This is not the choice that you have. The trauma just happens. The abuse just happens, or whatever that is, right? And then you just deal with the aftermath. This is an example of a juncture that has been pre-planned for you. And no matter what you do at soul level, you cannot bypass it. And of course, those are the ones that would birth a sister incarnation. Those are the ones that, you know, your free will as an incarnated soul has no control over, right? And then of course, everything that your free will has control over, everything that you can impact 
um, once you already are inside of an incarnation, that is going to be the multiverse situation where multiple versions are going to be recorded at the same time. I am ready to receive another question from the collective. Anything that I can clear up on the different types of incarnations? The question is, is there such a, a possibility that if you are a master incarnation, no matter how many times you redo the incarnation, that you just cannot get this right? The answer is yes, it is entirely possible. And like I said before, you are able to repeat the entire cluster. But usually when you repeat the cluster, you make certain changes, right? So let's say your North Star is to become master teacher and um, you have failed at that. Next time when you're planning a cluster of incarnations that is going to end up you know, in or result in you becoming a master teacher, A, you may choose to add specific experiences or specific lives, specific building blocks and stepping stones for you to be able to succeed in that incarnation. You may choose to take certain things slower and move through other things faster. You may choose a different set of challenges for yourself. So when you are replanning while keeping the North Star stagnant or while keeping the North Star constant, you're usually replanning to optimize, right? Because souls hate wasting time. Anytime you are, let's say you're not successful from the get-go, from the first um, try, you don't just repeat the same old over and over again. That would be the definition of insanity. You make the necessary changes. And that is what's fun, right? What is fun is being able to, for, for your higher self at least, is being able to dissect what went wrong where, and how can you fix it in the future? And also, by the way, another thing that is entirely possible is if you fail at a master teacher in this particular example, incarnation, what would happen is at soul level, you would go back to the Akashic records once you are, once you disincarnate, and you would watch many lifetimes and many examples of other master teachers and learn through their experiences. So what that tells you is that there was just not enough experience under your under your belt as a soul to enable and prepare you to become that master teacher. And so you would do a lot more prep work at soul level. And then also once here in an incarnation, you would choose to undergo a different set of experiences. But yes, I have not really... Um, I, I would say it would be extremely unlikely that no matter how you change the sequence of events, no matter how you change the game, no matter how many lives that you add into the in-between phase, I would say it's quite unlikely that you're not going to be able to hit your end goal of becoming master teacher. It's all just in the matter of planning. Alrighty, my darlings, I have time for one more question. Anything that you wanted to ask about the incarnations, I'm ready to receive. The question is of a sleeper incarnations, how active do they stay within society? Um, the answer is they usually stay active within their inner circle, which tends to be their familial structure, so the family. And they tend to be the opposite of involved in larger societal issues. So these are the people that, again, don't live a very strict blueprint. Um, and what, what do I mean by that? Imagine that every incarnation has a weight. It's almost like it has a weight and a dimension. You have incarnations that really create like a very large dent in the fabric of existence, such as master incarnations, for instance, or ascension incarnations tend to do that. It's almost like if they were a footprint, they're going to be a very nice, like very intentional, very deep footprint. And then there are other incarnations, such as a sleeper incarnation. It's almost like light as a, fe uh, light as a feather. It's almost like a feather fell and no, it didn't really leave too much of a dent, right? Because again, impacting the outside world is not the intention of every single being, of every single human, of every single incarnation, of every single higher self, right? Sleeper incarnations are the opposite of having impact. They are kind of like the more dormant you stay and the more passive you stay during these incarnations, the better it is. And so that is why different incarnations are meant to leave behind a very, very different imprint. So no, sleeper incarnations are usually, you know, people with very small circles of friends. Um, and again, it's it's just a very localized impact, right? They, you know, would stay very closely with their, you know, 
immediate family, very often these type of incarnations are not even going to procreate, right? So they're not even going to build their own families. I'm not saying that this is like a forever rule. This is a large overgeneralization, but very often they're, they don't even choose to build their own families or they stay, if, if they have a significant other, they um, may even stay child free. Uh, because it's just um, like an easier way because like once you start really engaging uh, when you when you start getting children and for a sleeper incarnation they're not really looking to accumulate all that much karma and so very often they would not want to have children so again just like a little tidbit uh, like a sign for you now one disclaimer that I wanted to make uh, as part of this episode is this have I given you the entire spectrum of every single incarnation that exists on planet Earth? Absolutely not. But I felt like I have given you some of the major ones, especially the ones that can be relevant to your life and your world. And hopefully that just sheds the light on how complex the whole planning process is, but also how simple it is, because they all can be classified into, you know, one of the major buckets that I just I just described to you. Alrighty, my darlings, hopefully this helps provide you some fun, interesting, necessary context as you are moving on in your lives, as you're completing your own challenges and, you know, hitting your own North Stars. That's that. I'm sending you a big virtual hug and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.